Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Junaid Ahmed. I set up the cameras, set up the lights, got the microphone, and I go to turn the camera on, and I couldn't say what I wanted to say. I was like, I need, maybe I need a script. So I bring the script out, but I still didn't have the presence on camera to tell a story, to get even started. I was like, okay, I need to spend some more time working on my ability to speak on camera. And that's where the podcast continued to help me evolve as a human being, develop that person. Hi there, my name is Bob Gentle and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show where every week I speak with incredible people who share what makes their business work. If you're new to the show, then while you still have your device in your hand, hit the subscribe button and that way you won't miss a single episode. And if you're a regular listener, consider sharing this show with just one person. It's the very best way you can help me reach more people. So, long ago, far, far away, when I was 17 years old, I worked for Apple. And I was there for two years. And they had one of those big, super motivational posters. And one of those motivational posters said, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And that poster made a big impression. So 30 or so years later, the world's changed a lot, but it's still really important to make a strong first impression. And the problem for a lot of us is that it's getting much harder to control. There's Zoom calls, Teams calls, we're doing webinars and live streams, and that means our first impression got a little more technical than a power suit and a good handshake. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome the man who always makes me say, ooh, Junaid Ahmed from Home Studio Mastery. Welcome to the show. Bob, thank you so much for having me on your show. Super excited. So for the listener who hasn't had the benefit of being dazzled by your own setup, can you maybe just start by telling us a little bit about your background and Home Studio Mastery? Absolutely. So I started in the tech industry long, long time ago. Started with the web development industry, got into graphic design, web development, web design. And then the iPhone was introduced and I was just blown away by being able to create apps on our smartphones. That took me on a different path where I became a user experience designer. But as I was designing mockups and apps and enterprise flows and whatnot. I was still very passionate about technology, been behind cameras for over three decades. And then in 2013, my wife got me a DSLR camera for our anniversary. Our young one was almost two years old and I was so thrilled that I took 15 courses to understand how this equipment works and the rest is history i've done <laughs> short films i've done documentaries i've done behind the scenes videos for some web series and it's just been a really lovely journey getting to understand all that it takes to use this equipment it's been pretty amazing i think that's the thing i think a lot of people have the equipment but they can never just quite get it right or they buy the wrong equipment. I'm very guilty of that. The camera I use now, is Canon M50, is probably the fifth camera I bought hmm. to try and create the kind of impression that I wanted. All the other cameras, they kind of did the job, but it was never quite right. And I think 
this is why I think where your your niche, so to speak, is so important because mm-hmm. fine tuning your setup so that you do look good on camera is actually way harder than you would think. Oh, I believe I believe you. Me, it, it took me a good nine to twelve months to really dial everything in, and those experimental times is it's like okay. I got this right. I got this right. Oh, I need to fix this part, and it's it's all about the experimenting and figuring out. So it takes it takes a lot of time to get it right. But once you have it right, now you know the formula on how to set up your space. A lot of artists will start with a blank canvas, and starting with a blank canvas is so much fun because you have the sky's the limit. But the problem with with having a sky as a limit is that now you don't know where to stop. That's why constraints are so important. Now, being a designer for so many years, when the iPhone came out, they said, hey, here's our design guidelines. You have this small of a screen to design for. And we don't want anything smaller than this font. We want you to use this font. So they give you constraints which help you to be more focused on what you want to show and why you're even doing it. So when a painter does start, you know, they, they say, okay, I'm going to start with a, let's say a 12 by 19 canvas piece. They know this is the max that they can draw into. So the same thing when, when I help people set up their studios, the first thing that I asked them, Hey, how big of a room do you have? How many windows, how many doors do you have in these windows and on this room? And how can all of this come together? So that's the that's the first thing that I like to start with. So having constraint is so important, and we think that it's not. So one of the things you mentioned is that experimentation takes time. For the average mortal coming to try and put a home studio together for live streaming and Zoom calls and even making YouTube content, video content, things like that, mm-hmm. there is the long road that requires experimentation and learning through experience, or there is the short road, which requires benefiting from um, somebody else's experience and experimentation. And with the clients you work with, they're typically coming for the latter. They want the shortcut that somebody helps them get this done more effectively. Typically, what kind of clients are you working with or what what is your your ideal, so the, the, the person who's best suited to the kind of help you can give? That's a great question. Thank you, Bob. The ideal client is somebody who's like myself. So who am I? I look at myself, right? I'm a podcast host. I've created course content. And I like to create content for YouTube, do some live streaming for Amazon. So those are my ideal client. People who are already doing or want to maybe start a podcast and now they're adding video element to it. Like, okay, I've done this part, but I need to add video element to it. And I don't have the time or energy to put that together. So podcast hosts, virtual speakers, they've been speaking on stages for a long time, but now they want to do virtual speaking and they can't get it right. And they, they come with a specific expertise. They're like, hey, I just want to spend time doing what I am really good at, stay in my genius zone as opposed to learn other things and, and just waste more time. So uh, I think a lot of the times when you are an expert at something, mm-hmm. you look at people who are trying to do it and you immediately know. And I think this is true of an expert in anything. 
an expert looks at somebody trying to do something and you think they're making it so hard for themselves. Mm-hmm. They just need to do this. What are the most common things that you look at and you think, people, don't do that, do this? So the first thing they'll, uh, is they'll use the wrong type of light or the wrong color of lighting because that's what they've seen other people do. Now, the ring lights are really popular. They were fantasized and, and promoted by a lot of beauty artists because you want a full lit face. And when you're recording a video, you know, you, you want to be able to show. So it works really great for that. But when you're introducing a larger camera, a larger image of yourself, it can only do, it can only go so far. So using the right kind of lighting, using the right color of lights is very important. Yeah. I was at Social Media Marketing World and you visited there too, but we, we didn't get to meet. But I saw I saw Sean Cannell was interviewing Pat Flynn and uh, they were being recorded. And in the corner, Charlene Johnson was hanging out. So I went up to her, I'm like, oh, Charlene, so nice to meet you. Uh, and I was wearing my, you know, my brand shirt and like, oh, I, I help people with home studios. And she's like, you know, I have a question for you. In my studio, I, I painted my ceiling pink and now I'm looking yellow on the camera all the time. Yeah. Like, well, you want to probably paint that ceiling to be white and use a daylight colored light because that, because the cameras are very smart and they can auto, auto correct your color. So if you give it natural lighting, you're going to look more natural. Just like, oh, I didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah, this was a problem that I found, that color of the light. If you have lots of different lights with lots of different colors, the camera doesn't know what white is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And the moment I discovered the manual white balance on the camera, I thought, whoa, now it looks great. Yeah. Sorry, I was getting super technical. I don't think there really is a way to have this conversation without being technical. So... (laughs) It's true. I, th- I think we need to give ourselves permission that the people listening to this show, they probably need to be on the journey where these are the things they've decided they want to try and figure out now. They want to know how to look good in a home studio. Yeah. And I'm sorry, guys. If you want to look good in a home studio, it's going to be vaguely technical. So maybe a better way of approaching this. Do you have any kind of resource for people that if you are thinking, okay, I'm going to try and do something with this home studio. Mm -hmm. I I need to fix this finally. I want to look good. Any kind of resource for people? Where should people go? Absolutely. So uh, over at homestudiomastery.com, I've got a small little course. We did a five-day challenge. We call it the home studio rehab. And in these five days, we talk about five main things that you can think to even think about starting your studio. So the number one thing, and so you can go and watch these videos we had I had a couple of experts come and help talk about these things as well so that's something that you can check out on homestudiomastery.com and I think that for anybody listening who is thinking I mean this wasn't intended as a, as a plug for your course at all but well, it does so. seem that if people want to get technical we just send them a place for that because I think what I would like to talk about is what actually happens when you get this right This is what I said in the introduction. Mm -hmm. What difference does a strong first impression make? And I'm sure in the work that you do, you've worked with people and they've come to tell you, hey, I was doing this before. I added in a little bit of pop and sparkle. We worked on Mm -hmm. getting the quality right. And now this is the result that I'm getting. People are acting differently. Is there anything like that 
that you can sort of relate. Absolutely. The moment I started showing up with my professional camera and, and layout and des studio design, people started paying more attention. They started respecting me more and they automatically said that I was an expert in something. Now, mind you, I do have some experience. I haven't been doing this for ages and ages and ages like most people do, but it gave me an unfair advantage over other people in the same Zoom call. Because not only did I sound clean, I also looked clean. So it gave me an unfair advantage among other people in the same room. And it also gave me authority. And because I look so good to myself as well, right? It gave me confidence to say what was on my mind. It almost like lifted a veil. It's like when you go to a club and, and people are waiting in line and you show up and people are like, oh, we don't need to hold you in the line. You can just walk right in because you've already showed up. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's a very powerful thing. Human beings are actually frighteningly gullible. And if you look fancy, they think you must be fancy is the blunt way that I'm going to put it. Mm -hmm. And I know exactly what you mean. You kind of do yourself a disservice when you say you haven't been doing this for ages because I know how long it's taken you to get to this point. Thank you. But I haven't spent lots and lots of time watching your content. It's exactly as you described. Mm -hmm. But what that, for me, demonstrates is leadership. There are lots of people who will talk about being able to do something, yeah. but they won't do it. And being able to show your leadership visibly like that is really important for trust. I know people who talk about all different aspects of business, but they might be an expert at it, but they're not doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's fundamentally different. If I want to pay somebody to show me how to do something, I don't want them to just have taken courses and stuff and be an expert with two underlines. I want somebody who's doing it and show me the, the shortcuts. Yeah, That's what I would pay people for. So the leadership that you demonstrate and what you do is really powerful. And that's why I think you're, if you're not seeing this kind of success as somebody that like, like I assumes you are, mm. it is literally around the corner. Um, I can guarantee it because what you're offering for somebody like me, anybody in the expert space is a route around the velvet rope past the gatekeepers, right into people's attention space. And I can't underestimate how much money that's worth. Absolutely. It's it's a very powerful position to be in. But as human beings, you know, we're always doubting ourselves, which is which is okay as long as you don't stop and keep going. Now I mentioned that I have a lot of experience behind the camera. So I could set up studios without thinking too much about it, tweaking it. The hardest thing that for myself when that was when I had to be in front of the camera. I 100% identify with that. I think mm -hmm. for me, I remember, I, I remember the, the day I was asking myself, why do I find this so difficult? Because uh, I've done some exciting things in life. But this one thing, I thought, this is ridiculous. And you do need to be highly motivated to move past that. I think the problem for a lot of people is you're a little bit like me. You're quite quiet, although the, the listener may struggle to agree with me. I am a quiet, shy person. 
and I'm very happy to sit back and let other people step out front. But that's not what your business needs from you. And I think this is kind of what you're alluding to, that you can rest in letting somebody else always step out front. But yeah, that's not what your business wants from you. So how did you move past that? Well, thank you for that question. And, and you're right. It, 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 it is very hard to be in front of the camera. I'd like to go into a little story. In 2018, I started my podcast and I was just documenting my journey of becoming a beekeeper and a podcaster all in one. But I really loved, I still love cameras. Towards the end of 2018, I was, they were doing uh, these LinkedIn local events. I showed up to one of these events and I took my iPhone on a little gimbal and I'm walking around recording footage. The host of this event was like, whoa, this guy is all in. This guy knows what's up. So then he comes to me and he said, hey, Janet, would you mind speaking at the next event talking about how to use your smartphone for video production. I was like, yes, I would love to. And I had no idea what I was going to say, but I knew <laughs> what it takes to you know, create content because I'd been creating content on my smartphone for ages. In fact, one of my videos on my YouTube channel that's done really good was all shot, edited, and published using an iPhone 5S. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a while ago. That was a while ago. So long story short, I create an ebook on what it takes to be good at smart, you know, using smartphone video for video production. And now I was like, hey, I got the ebook done. I didn't really share it much to any anybody. It was going to be published in the book. But then I was like, hey, I want to create a course around this. So let me do that. So I knew what it takes to set up studios. I set up a little small makeshift studio in my basement. I didn't. Ha I had all these yellow walls and I was so sick of them. I ended up buying a vinyl backdrop. It was kind of faded, but I was like, you know, let's just go and do it. I set up the cameras, set up the lights, got the microphone, and I go to turn the camera on and I couldn't say what I wanted to say. I was like, I need, maybe I need a script. So I bring the script out, but I still, didn't have the presence on camera to tell a story, to get even started. I was like, okay, I need to spend some more time working on my ability to speak on camera. And that's where the podcast continued to help me evolve as a human being, develop that person. Now in 2020 and onwards, we were spending a lot of time in front of cameras because we were on these Zoom calls and work and everything. And since I started creating my own setup, I spent a lot more time looking at the camera and talking to the people on the other side, listening to their stories and learning how to tell stories, how to tell and walk people through a journey. And it was just, it was just that one thing that I tell people to do. You can Go buy a studio tomorrow, let's say. But your ability to talk in front of the camera cannot be overnight. It has to be something that you got to work on. So we say you got to put in the reps to be this good. Yeah. No, I 100% I agree with that. I think there is no shortcut. I remember 
like you when I started my podcast, I was terrified every single episode that I recorded because mine's always guest. I think yours is guest driven as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So every single episode was like a roller coaster ride. I was done after each one. But keep going, keep going, keep going. And it becomes second nature. It becomes natural. You lean into your own personality. And actually, you discover what other people like about you as well. And you sort of, you begin to relax into it. Yeah. And then video for me was very similar. It's I think I'm something like 100 or so videos in now. Now, after 100 videos, it kind of feels okay. I was 100 videos of pain beforehand. It does take time. It's a process of desensitization and... For me, actually stopping worrying so much about what people think when they see it, mm-hmm. because some people are not going to like it anyway. It really doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. I guess one thing we haven't spoken about is your journey as a content creator. What you do as a service is inherently both very complicated and very simple. You you focus on a simple problem for a very particular kind of problem, but that problem is very important for that kind of person. But I'm interested to understand your own content journey because the reason we know each other is through content and through your own thought leadership and ambassadorship for the kind of work that you do. So how has that journey been for you and how have you moved past some of the barriers that were involved in becoming as visible as you are now? Bob, that's an amazing question. So where did my little journey of documenting start? I remember blogging as early as 2004, I believe. So we had WordPress, we had uh, lots of different sites to be able to just blog. I still have my blog post up over at supergenate.com and I had a tech blog called Techno Junkie since 2007 and since the beginning of, I guess it was all around the time when the iPhone came out. And it was just really fascinating to be able to just put your thoughts out. As I discovered other people creating content, maybe text, photos, videos, I was fascinated and I was like, hey, I want to do some of this. Now, I go all the way back to creating content to say 90, I guess 93, when my dad got us our very first 486DX2 33 megahertz (laughs) machine. (laughs) And all we're doing is literally creating content. And it, one way or another, if, if people see it or not, it is still content, right? So that practice was really ingrained in me. And my mother is also somebody who is a hobbyist. She, she loves to get into different things and create different things. She used to sew stuff. So I take a lot of that creativity from her. <laughs> and when you're creative, you're literally creating all sorts of things. So I have so many different hobbies. And in 2012, I talked to my my buddies and I'm like, hey, let's start this podcast. It's going to be still brewing it because we would always talk about different ideas. It only went as far as four episodes because we were in three different time, two different time zones, three different cities, two different states. It was very hard and we didn't have Zoom or Zencaster, but we made it happen we found a loophole where if you did a Hangout call with Google, you could stream it to YouTube and then we were able to download this video and take the audio out and then that was our episode. That sounds like a lot of work. It was a lot of work. And My congratulations. Did, <laughs> thank you. And hence why it only lasted for four episodes. 
right? Now, as time progressed, I kept going back to my cousins and my brother-in-law. I'm like, hey, let's do a podcast. Let's do a podcast. But they weren't in the same mindset as I was because I kept growing. I kept studying from the likes of Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, Gary Vee. And it was Gary Vee that actually told me to just document my journey. Now, this was 2018. I finished reading the book, crushing it. And at the end of it, he said, you know, there were stories from other creators in this in this book and listening to their stories and how they got started. I was like, wait, so you just got to get started and just do what you love to do and you'll find your own footing and you'll find your own personal voice. And that's what you mentioned earlier, right? You, As you do these things, you discover yourself and you start coming into your own person. Yeah. And I think one of the things when people hear things like document your journey, the immediate reaction is, well, what I'm doing is actually really boring all the time. And I think mm -hmm. it's so important to remember that what's ordinary for you is amazing for someone else. And that's true for everybody. I don't care who you are. I just thought that was important to mention at that point. I will no, let you I carry on your story. <laughs> no, no. I love that you mentioned it because yes, all of that stuff is boring, but guess what? We spend hours and hours watching videos of transformation on TikTok and Instagram. People that are, that take a kitchen and they'll, they're taking the entire floor out. They're taking all this furniture, you know, cabinets out and they're putting new stuff in. We're watching all the boring stuff put together. And guess what people want to see? That's what they want to see. They want to see the how. They want to see what did you do if you ran into a problem? How did you solve it? Because they're coming to you to learn something. So that's what I just kept doing. I jumped into my car, restarted recording my podcast on my smartphone because I discovered something called anchor.fm. And the rest is history, right? So for one year, I just talked to myself. I didn't promote any of my podcast episodes. And I just talked to myself. And people, I didn't pay attention to people saying, what are you doing? with Why, why is this podcast happening? Because I didn't promote it, right? I was afraid people were going to say, don't do this. That's dumb. Yeah. And then you get disheartened and you you shut down. I saw a message from Cassie Neistat today. And it said, people who say it can't be done should not interrupt those who are doing it. Yes. So that's what I did. One of the things that you mentioned is you have lots of hobbies. Mm-hmm. and you're multi-passioned and you've got a lot of different things going on and I'm wondering how you manage your time how do you make sure that the right time goes in the right things like bee- beekeeping is something mm-hmm. that I have on my fantasy list I guess when you get to our age things like beekeeping they become moderately exciting mm-hmm. how much time does that actually take so beekeeping to tend to a hive the recommendation is you you know you check on it every seven to eleven days, just to make sure that you know the bees are there. They've got enough food. The queen is laying eggs. There's no mites or you know or there's no bugs, mites or or hive beetles or you have moths, because those are some of the things that will effectively hurt a hive. So. Those are some of the things that you want to pay attention to. Of course, anybody can get started with beekeeping. It's it's so accessible. And in fact, there's a there's probably a local beekeeping group in your neighborhood or in your city or in your town. 
that people are tending their bees. So that's the first thing that I was told to do. Go find a local beekeepers group so that you can get a little handle on people, you know, get introduced to people who are already doing the thing that you want to do. I think that is a really important thing to hear. I think the beekeeping, people are probably listening thinking, why has he started asking about beekeeping? This is not a beekeeping podcast. My question was really about how do you manage your time, but it does bring us on to a different point, actually, right, right. which I think you highlighted beautifully is wonderful for rescuing me from such a stupid question. It obviously wasn't a stupid question because I'm too smart no, for that. It's an but amazing question. When you're into something, when you have an interest, it's important to feed it. And if you want to feed it, the best way to feed it is go find people who are also into what you're doing. Mm. And this is a wonderful reason to start a podcast. It's a wonderful reason to create content because it does drive you to go and find other people who are kind of into what you're doing. Yeah. Which it leads me on to things like social media marketing world. Now you're in Washington. You're mm -hmm. almost as far away from San Diego as I am. So yeah. for the listener who's thinking, what what makes what drives you to travel halfway? Well, almost it's the whole way across your country, mm -hmm. halfway around the world for me to go to a conference like Social Media Marketing World. Why do you do that? And what's the benefit of it? I love that question too. And I, I do want to answer your last question. How do I spend, how do I find the time to spend <laughs> on all of these things, right? Not all together, because as you work on one thing, you know, you, you'll spend more time on one thing over the other. But as you do more of it, you get more proficient and efficient at spending time on multiple things. So when I was starting my beekeeping, I spent a lot more time with beekeeping than I did with building my studio. Once I had my studio, now I can just, I spend a lot of time in setting up the studio, but now I can just walk in here, press a button and start creating content or talking about things that I, that are bothering me or things that are boring. Same with the beekeeping. I've already got a beehive set up. I just need to put my suit on, get my smoker, go out there and, you know, do an inspection. Same with cycling. Initially, it's a lot of work, but as you build up that muscle, you get so good at it that you don't even need to think about it. Like it's probably a lot of people who drive cars now don't even have to think about all the things that they do when they're driving a car. You get in your car, you start driving, and within the next 20 minutes, you're at your destination. And you all you think about is probably the music you're listening to or if you're on the phone call, you did not think about all the turns that you had to take because it's all second nature. So that's how I'm able to do so many different things. Now, why did I fly to the other side of my country to social media marketing world. First of all, this was my very first time visiting. And those who haven't heard of social media marketing world, it's been put, it's put together by Social Media Examiner. And this company has been around for almost a decade, started by Michael Stelsner. Amazing little program. So why did I go across the country? Well, for number one, to meet people like me, to meet other creators that I've built connections with in the past couple of years by being a podcaster, by interviewing them on my podcast. I got to, I got to meet some of my really good friends at this event and some of the heroes that we get to follow, right? Like Pat Flynn, Sean Cannell, 
Shalene Johnson, you know, all, and, and so many more, they were there talking about what their own journey and telling their stories. So that was one of the reasons. Number two, I get to see people in person. And the one thing that we have been avoiding, I guess, for the past two years during the pandemic is meeting people in public. Yeah. So that was another reason that was like, hey, I'm going to see all these people in person, can spend more time with them. That was the other reason I went. I, I think this is something that I found to be true because I speak to a lot of people at all different levels of business. And I've had many of our sort of online heroes on the show as well. Mm -hmm. And I always ask them the, the question, opportunity can come to us through one of four routes. It can come through outbound sales activity. It can come through content and content marketing. It can come through ads or it can come through referrals and relationships. And every single time, even like, Somebody like Sean Cannell, for example, is driving a tremendous amount of business through affiliates and his online stuff. But the opportunities that move the dial for people, they're always driven by relationships. So being able to meet people is fundamentally important. But it does, I think this whole online world, it does allow you to network in a very different way. But networking is super important but it allows you to elevate your network outside of the traditional local business community, which is for me, what's really changed the game. I love what you said, Bob, you know, you are networking. And the one thing that popped for me was when I mentioned about, if you want to become a beekeeper, you go hang out with other beekeepers. If you want to become a cyclist, you go hang out with other cyclists. And as social media people and podcasters, this is a big event that a lot of podcasters and creators and live streamers are coming together. So we're, we're attracted to this because we're going to see people that are doing the same thing we're doing, that are going through the same problems that we go through. So they understand where we're coming from and they have the solutions. They have the information and they have the track record and journey to show us that it is possible and also motivate us and inspire us to keep going on the path that we're on because we are, we are very close to the light. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about you, if they're listening, thinking, okay, home studio, I am going to tame you. What actions should they take? How can they connect with you if they want to work with you? And yeah, what's your favorite social media platform? Man, I, don't like saying favorite social media platforms. There's so many. But Facebook Messenger has been a lifesaver because they have an app for the Mac. It keeps me away off of social media platform, but I can do the conversations that really matter. And so a lot of my business is happening on, on Facebook Messenger. All of these referrals and connections, I'm making them through Facebook Messenger and, of course, sometimes through LinkedIn as well as well as Instagram, but all of these networks I can, you know, I can be reached at. Super Junaid is the ID or my screen name, I guess, so to say, at Super Junaid on all of these platforms I'm available. If people want to learn more about Home Studio Mastery and want to act, get access to some free resources, they can go over to homestudiomastery.com. And Junaid, 
the one question I always ask everyone, what's one thing you do now that you wish had started five years ago? Man, I love that. I if I if there was one thing that I started five years ago was to do more video. If I did more video five years ago, I'd be a different person. Like I yeah. think Mr. B started maybe five, six years ago. It's not even that long ago when he got started. So yeah, I'd do more video. That is a really good answer. I think we all need to do more video. So that brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks to you for listening. And if you did enjoy the show, then I would gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with just one person. If you did enjoy the show, then you'll love the Personal Brand Business Roadmap. It's 100% free and a gift from me. It's 30 pages of everything you'll need to start, scale, or just fix your expert business. Click or tap the links in the show notes or just visit amplifyme.agency forward slash roadmap. Thanks again, Junaid, for joining us and thanks to you for listening and I will see you next week. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for your time.